1: Nothing is made to last anymore. From computers to cell phones, even to clothes, things only last for so long before they start to deteriorate. This brand new smartphone that you spent thousands of dollars on won't even turn on in a handful of years. And all those new clothes your teen bought at the beginning of the school year probably won't even make it till Christmas. But buildings are different. Or at least they're supposed to be. In 1915, Japan, a building was constructed that was meant to withstand the worst that nature had to offer. It just didn't count on what man had in store. The Prefectural Commercial Exhibition, or Product Exhibition Hall, was designed by Czech architect Jan Letzel as the centerpiece of the city's business district. It was intended to be a place for companies to showcase and sell their products, as well as a venue for local art exhibitions. Letzel's design was different from the other structures in the area, too. It was three stories tall and made of brick, stone, and steel. In the middle of it, a copper dome sat on top of a five-story stairwell. Its unique aesthetic was in stark contrast to the rest of the buildings in the area, making it a popular destination for locals and tourists alike. Thirty years after its completion, though, tragedy struck. The United States dropped a nuclear bomb on the middle of the city. The blast destroyed everything within a one-mile radius. Homes, apartments, stores, and offices were reduced to rubble. Nearly 150,000 people were killed between the explosion and the radiation that followed. But not the exhibition hall. Though the roof had burned away and the center of the building was decimated, its sturdy frame still remained intact. Even the dome's skeleton was still there, perched atop the center of the structure— It was the only thing to have survived the devastating bombing of Hiroshima. Soon after the war, the dome was set to be demolished as part of the city's cleanup efforts. However, its remarkable condition amid the rest of the city's ruins made the decision to tear it down a difficult one. Some folks wanted to remove it, while others thought it made a perfect memorial for the bombing. The city decided to leave the exhibition hall alone and instead put a park around it, In 1966, they voted to preserve what the locals had come to call the Genbaku Dome. Over the years since then, very little has changed. When modifications are made, such as a minor upgrade to earthquake-proof the dome, the look of the building is always left alone. It looks almost exactly as it did just after the dust settled in 1945. To further preserve the structure, the United Nations Cultural Organization, UNESCO, designated the dome a World Heritage Site in 1996. Today the dome is part of a massive memorial complex meant to convey the scope and devastation of one of the worst moments in modern world history. The Hiroshima Peace Memorial, its surrounding park, and the other nearby monuments are stark reminders of the worst in human nature. But they also represent something else. They stand for resilience and ingenuity, for struggle and fortitude in the face of adversity. And in the case of the Dome itself, it's a reminder of that old cliché. They just don't make them, like they used to.
0: Save now at cedarpoint.com.
1: Elections have a tendency to bring out the worst in people. From smear campaigns and all-out lies to voters yelling at each other from opposite sides, politics is, as they say, a circus. It's no wonder that many voters instead choose to stay home, refusing to participate in a process they feel is unfair or even corrupt. Which is exactly what happened in Sao Paulo, Brazil, in 1958. At the time, the city was suffering— The sewers were in need of serious repairs, the prices of common goods had risen to astronomical heights, and a food shortage had thrown everything into chaos. And understandably, people were upset. They'd had enough. And with an election around the corner, they saw their opportunity to turn things around. There was just one problem. The candidates who had been running were all equally unappealing. No one wanted to vote for them. And many of the 3.5 million citizens of the city sat out the election. But those who voted found an alternative. Her name was Cacareco. She was a last-minute candidate who had no idea her name was even on the ballot. After she was added, slogans in support of her were plastered all over town, and Brazilian voters became energized again. Finally, they had a candidate they could believe in. Her campaign wasn't given much thought by the other candidates, Surely someone so new and inexperienced couldn't beat Brazil's political heavyweights in such an important race. And then on October 8th, the votes were cast. One of the men running for city council earned a whopping 10,000 votes, an impressive showing from his supporters. Cacareco, on the other hand, brought in a few more. 90,000 more, to be precise. You see, 100,000 citizens had cast their vote for Cacareco. A landslide that ended the campaigns of 11 opposition parties almost instantly. It was a surprising victory for a candidate who had been added as a protest vote against the 540 other parties running. Naturally, those other candidates were furious. They blamed their losses on a secret plan to undermine their campaigns. Could it have been a foreign interest or a corrupt puppet master pulling the strings behind the scene? The answer, though, was far simpler. Local journalist Itabori Martins had grown sick of all the politicians talking out of both sides of their mouths. None of them seemed worthy of occupying a seat on the city council. So rather than sit out the election entirely, Martins suggested Kakareko on a whim. And then a half-hearted nomination somehow took off. Unfortunately, Martins' scheme fell short. There was no way election officials would allow Kakareko to serve on the city council. For one thing, she was only four years old. For another, she was a rhinoceros. She had been on loan to the San Paulo Zoo for three months and inspired a new sentiment among the people. Better a rhinoceros than an ass, they said, and it started gaining steam with voters who looked at their options and wanted nothing to do with any of them. Kakareko may not have ever gotten to serve on the city council, but her unwitting foray into politics did have one lasting effect. She spawned a political movement in Canada. Yes, thousands of miles to the north, a new political party was forming. It was called the Rhinoceros Party of Canada, and was established in 1963 as the spiritual successor to Brazil's Cacareco. Their motto, a promise to keep none of our promises, said it all. They were only there to disrupt the status quo, much like their rhino pal down south. When they formed, they named Cornelius I as their leader. Cornelius lived at the Granby Zoo in Quebec and was, you guessed it, another rhinoceros. He held that position for almost 30 years, right up until the party was dissolved in 1993. Over the course of nine elections, the rhinoceros party didn't win a single seat in the House of Commons, but they stuck to their fairly simple platform, one that resonated with thousands of Canadians. Candidate Brian Gold, who ran for election back in 1990, described that platform as well as anyone might. Just two feet high, he said, and made of wood. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works.